I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. So today's a diplomat interview. Uh, we've been due for one for some time now. It's been a minute. Uh, I'm happy to have the Consulate General, David Hunt, from the British Consulate in Erbil come and join me because there have been uh, quite a few political developments that have cropped up, not just in KRI and Iraq, but in the UK as well. So it seems like as good a time as any to ask about the political developments there. Uh, the changing of the prime ministers, <laughs> as well as here, uh, there's also a new prime minister, finally. So we talked about that, as well as the developments with Iran a bit, before getting into the developments of partnership between the British government and the KRG. And a big focus that they're working on now is digitalization, uh, which is a topic that I'm hoping to cover more in future episodes, but we talked about it here as well. And whenever I get the chance to ask someone about water management, uh, I try to get that in. So that's in the tail end of this interview as well. Uh, a bit about our guest. David Hunt has been the Consulate General, or CG, here for a little more than a year. He arrived last September. Before that, he had quite the resume of positions, both domestic and foreign, including ambassador to Lithuania and a CG in Washington, D.C., uh, as well as afterwards, he served as the deputy director for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in London before coming here. And at this point, I'm really just regurgitating his LinkedIn, and he's got more interesting things to say on the topics uh, that I summarized before. So without further ado, here's our conversation. And we're recording again. Sorry about that. Just had a quick power outage. So, yeah, what were we discussing? Oh, yes. Uh, political change. Yes, the uh, uh, political change of your yeah. country, my country, yeah. and yeah. every yeah. country. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, uh, like I said, uh, <laughs> three prime ministers ago was the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, last um, last time I met with your uh, your staff about setting up this meeting. Of course, yeah. So I, I think it's probably a good idea to just start with uh, how have things developed uh, in the UK and how has that you know affected your role here? Um, thank you. Um, we have a new prime minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, who... Uh, was our former, for, sorry, our former Chancellor of the Exchequer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's come in uh, and he's focusing very much on some of the economic uh, challenges that the country faces. Um, and uh, in terms of how uh, it's changed my role here, well, it's a simple answer. It, it, it hasn't changed my role at all mm-hmm. because one of the, the great benefits of the system that I work for is that you know we continue... Um, our foreign policy, and we have a continuity uh, between changes of ministers and government. Uh, and as a civil servant, um, my job is to support ministers to achieve their objectives. So the civil service carried on all of the work that it's doing on a day-in, day-out basis. So, um, yeah, um, it's very good to, to have a new prime minister in place, and I'm looking forward to to seeing what he does on the world stage. And uh, uh, we continue to be as active and as engaged as we are uh, in the Kurdistan region and in wider Iraq. So what are some of the objectives of some of those ministers that you mentioned before? Can we talk about the overall agenda uh, that you're pursuing out here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in Iraq, in the Kurdistan region, what we're looking to to support is, is, is stability uh, and, and prosperity mm-hmm. of, of the Kurdistan region of Iraq and obviously... Um, wider Iraq as well. And we do that in many ways, you know, through engagement with uh, the respective governments, um, um, through um, supporting uh, policy areas, uh, for example, you know, improving economic climate, you know, making sure that they're tackling some of the challenges and the obstructions to trade. 
Uh, we work with them uh, and, and support the government here with some of our programme funds and our, our programmatic work. Uh, and we do our best to, to help support and advise um, and uh, build long-term, sustainable, enduring relationships with, 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 the, with the politicians of the Kurdistan region and, of course, uh, in Baghdad um, um, so that we can continue to do this for the long term. Thanks for throwing in Baghdad there because yeah. <laughs> they've also had a lot of political changes recently. They, uh, they mm. finally have a new uh, prime minister. Uh, yeah. And so I was wondering, uh, has the political change down south affected any of uh, the things that you've been working out here? Have you had any conversations with him or with anyone here regarding sort of the developments that are happening? Well, look, it's a really significant moment right. uh, for Iraq. You know, obviously there were elections, I think, in October last year. It's taken the best parts of a year, well, plus to form a government. Um, you know, I've always said the same thing about this, is which the people of Iraq deserve strong governance. Mm -hmm. They deserve a government that can deliver the, 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 the needs to the needs of the people, you know, services, um, support, education. You know, just outside, we were talking about the need for, you know, basic services to citizens that need to be put in place so Absolutely. people can live their lives and prosper. Um, and so, you know, I've always said to the government here, uh, that that um, it's really important that uh, the Kurdistan region has a strong and united voice uh, in terms of what it's looking to engage with the government of Baghdad uh, on. You know, there's so many issues, and we can get into them in the podcast. That you know, it is in the strategic interest of the Kurdistan region and its people uh, to be able to actively have those discussions in Baghdad and make sure uh, some of the outcomes from those discussions are implemented. You know, discussion's one thing, implementation's another thing. They both have to happen. And so, okay, let's talk about the united voice of Kurdistan because it's yeah. not necessarily so united. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, most speaking of a politically affiliated media outlet ourselves, yeah. uh, we're PDK owned and operated. Uh, we... Um, we definitely have, you know, a perspective that we pursue yeah, and, yeah. and everyone out here does. And yeah. so as someone who comes in as sort of a third party uh, yeah. negotiator, uh, I'm wondering how you navigate or have traditionally navigated those different dynamics. Can you walk yeah. me through some examples? Well, look, what I try to do is I try to speak in a, uh, in a straightforward and clear and consistent way. Mm -hmm. I talked, you know, the messages that I give to all the political players and actors in the Kurdistan region are the same, which is you have shared interests and objectives. Mm -hmm. You know, you want a stronger economy. You want greater security. Uh, you want prosperity for your people. Uh, the way to achieve that is to talk uh, with the same objectives in Baghdad. You know, there are so many areas. I mean, look at, you know, some of the, the regional tensions that the Kurdistan region has had to, to deal with recently. Um, look at, you know, a lot of the outstanding issues, the disputed territories where mm -hmm. there's a, you know, by and large, a security vacuum, vacuum where you know, if you don't have, you know, uh, a, a, a presence on the ground there, you know, other people, Daesh, are going to take advantage mm -hmm. of it. You know, your shared interest is in resolving those issues, the Article 140 uh, debate that you know, have, making sure other things are played. You get a budget, you know, on a monthly basis from Baghdad. Uh, making sure that the salaries of uh, of the brave Peshmerga are paid, you know, uh, all of these sort of things really matter, you know, and they matter to both the KDP and the PUK. That's the agenda that I want to see 
moved forward in Baghdad. Well, and not just concerning things that are happening inside of Iraq, but outside. Yeah. You know, there are yeah. currently bombardments from Iran. Uh, mm. So why don't we talk about sort of yeah. <laughs> the elephants east of the room, uh, yeah. and and let's talk about the developments that are happening there, uh, yeah. and how it concerns Kurdistan, how it concerns your role in terms of uh, yeah. security here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's deeply concerning, and, you know, I was very clear when I went on the record with the media shortly after uh, the recent bombardments. It was This was unwarranted aggression. Mm. It was, a, you know, egregious acts, um, and, and we totally condemned what happened. The loss of life was deplorable. Um, you know, people of the Kurdistan region, they just want to get on and live their lives in safety and security. You know, they want to, they want to raise their families. They want to, they want to, you know, live in peace. Yeah, this was um, uh, unacceptable uh, acts and, you know, uh, and, it, and, and it's something that the UK government, we are friends and partners of the Kurdistan region, you know, and, and my minister, Lord Ahmad, very quickly came out with a statement to that effect shortly after those events. And we'll continue to make the case for uh, um, for a Kurdistan region and, and, and a wider Iraq where the sovereignty is is protected uh, and where people can live their lives in peace. Why do you think that sovereignty is under duress from Iran? I'm well, curious about your own personal views about the situation. Well, y you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of, of, of the government in Tehran. The RGC. You know, because I think it would be, a, it wouldn't be my place to do that, right. and also. Um, you know, I can surmise, you know, a number of reasons they have a lot of domestic turmoil at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's um, you know, there are protests across the country. You know, whether they are seeking to divert attention away from that might be one reason. But, you know, the bottom line is what's important is they stop these acts. They stop the shelling um, and, the, and, and the attacks on the Kurdistan region uh, because it's unacceptable. Let's talk a little bit about how long you've been here uh, mm. and the developments that have happened since you've come here. So you've been here for, you arrived here September 2021, beginning of September 2021. Okay. Yeah. So what have been the developments that have really sort of marked your, uh, your timeline as a diplomat here? Well, I think, you know, my, my, my life as a diplomat here is quite fast paced. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes I wish I had more time to sit back and reflect on questions like that. But hmm. um you know, clearly, you know, we've had uh, elections, federal elections, which are very important for the future of the whole of Iraq. You know, that's a significant moment. Right. Uh, there's been a long and drawn out process in toward, in toward government formation, you know, which is now largely done, which is a very positive thing. That's been quite a significant defining moment. Um, I'm very keen that the Kurdistan region holds its elections. Uh, you know, they're were, they were originally scheduled for October. We now understand that they'll be delayed until some point in next year. It's important that those elections do go ahead. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a this can be an example for the rest of the region, the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Um, you know, a democratically elected parliament accountable to its people. These are important things, and this is what I want to see happen. You know, and the people of the Kurdistan region should have their opportunity to vote for the parliamentarians they want to see taking forward the difficult decisions they need to make. Mm -hmm. So um, various, uh, various, various things like that. And of course, we've had, you know, a number of, of, of challenging moments when, for example, you know, as you've just discussed, there's been attacks on the, on the Kurdistan region from Iran that have been significant uh, and, and, and deeply concerning. And so those are the sort of things that 
as a as a representative of uh, the UK government here, I've I've had to focus my attention on. But also, you know, there is huge amounts of areas where we've been able to cooperate in a really positive manner and do really exciting things here. We can get hopefully we can get into that. Uh, but the kind of things that you know make me proud to do the job I do is to have been able to support the Kurdistan Regional Government in bringing forward their digitalisation agenda. Um, we've helped them create this uh, digital roadmap for bringing a lot of their services online and you know, to be at the launch of that uh, and for the Prime Minister, um, you know, uh, um, His Excellency Masroor Bazani, thank my government for their support. You know, that's why I get up in the morning and do the job I do. You know, it's to be able to get those moments where we're really locked in together, working really well together. Uh, on, a, on a shared objective to move things forward, a positive agenda. Well, let's talk about digitalization because yeah. uh, an enormous problem uh, out here for all sorts of reasons uh, is, for example, things are operating on cash. Yeah. Uh, there is an enormous amount of corruption affiliated with large chunks of the economy, for example, yeah. uh, the gas and oil sector. Yeah, yeah. How do you think that digitalization can uh, potentially subvert that? And then, and then how can you move forward with a digitalized archive of the information that this government Look, uh, is taking in? Tremendous opportunities here. What, what does digitalization um, uh, mean for me? You know, here, increased transparency, mm-hmm. moving things like procurement online, you know, putting out tenders you know, online so that, you know, every interested company or, or, or service provider can see them. You know, taking decision-making out that the hands of a perhaps small group of individuals and putting them on a platform which everyone can see the process, uh, it allows better services to the citizen, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also allows greater efficiency. It allows people to to see what services are available, what support might be available. It increases access to services. You know, the, I mean, the potential is is tremendous. I mean, we all know so much of the future of the world economy will be digital. You know, the Kurdistan region needs to be playing its role in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason why I have such confidence in the people in the Kurdistan region is because when I look at the young people here, they're all so digitally savvy. They're online. They're engaging with me on social media platforms. They're, they're, you know, they are into their tech. You know, you need to unleash that potential, the human capital, you know, which is, 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 is here is significant because people are well educated. They're highly capable. They can do things. You know, moving on into that digital sphere will enable that, that, that great um, potential to be harnessed. And to talk about something else related to digital content, which is maybe I've got my own uh, perspective on, on, on or agendas to why uh, I'm interested in the topic. But, for example, you have topics like the right to be forgotten yeah, yeah. Uh, and things like that. So you have a connection to free speech as well. Absolutely. I'm actually not familiar with the UK stance on uh, RTBF uh, or, or some of the other uh, uh, areas of, the, of concern when it comes to um, being able to erase or maintain yeah. uh, information about certain individuals. But that's a concern I have here because it's a developing field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so people, you know, this country doesn't necessarily have the, uh, Iraq, I mean, as a whole, doesn't necessarily have the best uh, yeah. record when it comes to uh, uh, allowing people to say whatever they want without consequences for those people afterwards. Yeah. And digitalization can be used as a weapon. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. So what would you like to see implemented in this system in order to make sure that there are safeguards to protect people? Well, look, um, I think you've raised 
a number of points there, all of which are really important. So thank you for the question. Um, you know, data protection is is of significant importance to the individual. I, I keep talking about the citizen, but it really matters. So, you know, we have a, a rigorous framework of data protection in the UK, which enables uh, um, you know um, citizens to have data online, but also have controls and checks and balances that are mm -hmm. in place. Um, and um, uh, the Data Protection Act and other legislation does support uh, the rights of individuals in the in the digital sphere. Um, you know, you touch upon freedom of expression. You know, uh, and and arguably, um, you know, social media and other outlets provide people with the ability to express themselves freely. And you know, again, absolutely clear that that, that freedom of expression is is a value and and, and a fundamental right that. We really support, and you know, I personally genuinely passionate about. But my government is a, is a great advocate of, uh, and it, and it, you know, freedom of expression, you know, underpins a vibrant democracy, and it's important to be protected, nurtured, mm -hmm. so it can flourish. Uh, and you know, I'd like to see, you know, uh, that happen here uh, more and more. And so, you know, I'm a great supporter of it. We're very vocal about it, uh, and uh, you know, and, and it's important to to the citizens of Iraq. What other things are personally interesting to you about this job? I'm, I'm curious sort of about how, A, you ended up in Kurdistan, and B, not to play psychologist here, but yeah. <laughs> why do you do what you do? Um, well, look, um, uh, again, it's a great question, and I'm going to try and be brief. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, I was in the private sector. I was working in sales and marketing prior to that retail, you know, and I joined the diplomatic service age 30. Uh, so quite a late entrant, and I joined a, a sort of, uh, a middle management level, because at the time, the government uh, at that time was looking to bring people into government with commercial skills, not necessarily to do commercial things, but because, you know, working in the private sector does give you a, a really good sort of organisational ability, uh, ability to get things done. And I think they wanted more of that, uh, in, uh, to move more of that into the civil service at the time. So uh, I joined at age 30, never looked back, um, you know, 21 years in, uh, Fourth posting, uh, I was our deputy ambassador to Croatia. I was our ambassador to Lithuania. I then served in Washington for four years so as sorry. a counselor. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It was the, it was the most wonderful experience. Uh, and then did some time back in London. And then I decided that actually at this stage of my career, what I really wanted was a change. And I wanted to, to I'm very passionate about being a, a, a bilateral diplomat, you know, talking to governments and moving agendas forward and creating partnerships. So I wanted to do some bilateral diplomacy. The way our systems work, you know, it's like a bit of a sort of market system. Jobs come up and they're advertised internally and you bid for them. Uh, and I saw this job and I thought, well, that looks very different. Uh, you know, I knew a bit about the, the Kurdistan region and, and wider Iraq from my, you know, wider foreign policy knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke to the hiring manager, who's our ambassador in Iraq at the time, now our, our, our Middle East and North Africa director in, in London. Uh, and I showed some interest in the job, did my research, and I thought, well, this is for me at this time of my career. Uh, I have a family and, and children in the United Kingdom, so I had uh, a fairly open and frank discussion with them about what it would mean for me to be away for this amount of time, and they were really supportive. Um, and as a result, um, uh, you know, here I am doing what I do. So KRA was a midlife crisis for you? Is that no. What you're me? <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 my midlife crisis is elsewhere. Oh, okay. no, no, oh no, 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 I'm joking. Right. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but no, it really wasn't. But, you know, I think, you know, the, the beauty of the system in which I work and the institution in which I work, the, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, is it does give us the opportunity 
as as generalists, as diplomats, to say, okay, well, look, I've done this, I've enjoyed it. You know, I have quite a specialism in European Union uh, matters and policy matters, and you know, I was involved in the negotiations on our withdrawal. But you know, I've done a fair amount of that, and and now's a moment to look elsewhere to do other things. Um, and you know, diplomatic skills, you might you might get some, you know, on a posting which they're transferable. You know, talking to governments, talking to ministers, mm-hmm. um, doing public diplomacy. You know, those skills are transferable. So I've been able to transfer them and use them here. And, you know, I'm really proud of what we've been able to achieve, uh, uh, you know, in the time that I've been here and uh, and still are achieving. And so that's it's, that's a very good thing. And, you know, it's been such a rewarding posting for me. You know, I've, I'm really, really enjoying my time in the Kurdistan region. One of the interesting things for me about Diplomatic Corps is that you do have different postings. And so you have a cycle of different people coming in, fresh faces. Yeah. And so you have an equal measure of sort of the same agenda being pursued mm. by different people who leave a different impression of that agenda. Yeah. yeah. What's your impression? Well, I think the importance here is continuity. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I can't speak for other diplomats, but I can speak for my system, which is, you know, um, I knew I had this job a year in advance. Mm-hmm. I spent that year researching the region. Obviously, I was working a full-time job at the time. Again, I'm you know, in another policy area, but in my spare time, I would read up about the Kurdistan region. I would meet people that had knowledge of it. Uh, I'd meet key contacts, talk to people in parliament, um, you know, build a level of knowledge so that when I came here, I'd hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, you know, thorough handover from my predecessor, uh, you know, when my successor arrives at post, uh, there will be a, a thorough handover as well. Uh, and so that individual can then pick up where I've left off. And what you, know, what, what you mustn't do is just walk away and then allow someone then to sort of have to work out what they're supposed to be doing. So our system places a premium on good handovers. Uh, and so that, you know, you know, my successor will deliver uh, on the agenda that I'm currently working on, um, but also take it in a different direction you know, but with a clear strategic dotted line, you know, between, you know, my effort and, and my future successor's effort. And what are you hoping the sort of overall legacy of British presence in KRI is? Um, partnership. Okay. Friendship. A relationship of trust. Open, honest dialogue. You know, friends talk very clearly with each other, you know, and that's the type of honest, open and, and mature relationship where I want. One where, you know, you can point to cooperation across a broad swathe of areas. You know, we work very closely with each other, you know, in the security sphere, but also, you know, I want to see more UK companies coming here, um, setting up uh, a presence here, exporting here, employing people here. I'd like to see more business men and women from the Kurdistan region investing in the United Kingdom. You know. We have a great platform here because we have a significantly sized Kurdish diaspora in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, quite a large number of dual nationals. We know each other. We have a history together. You know, let's build on it. You know, uh, and so that's a type of that's a type of legacy. You know, I would very much hope to leave. You know, but you know, it's one based on ambition. You know, I'm I'm setting a pace here. You know, I want to do things here, you know, and we are doing things here. And, you know, and I, I want I want that type of you know, pace of relationship to continue. One thing that I really want to ask about before uh, we wrap this up is 
the projects that you have concerning water management. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> before we spoke, we were talking about the the issue with littering, and you and you went to uh, Shaklawa yesterday yeah, with yeah. Cleanup KRI, which we've actually covered for our yeah. website. Good. Um, but uh, I was hoping that you could speak a little more about upcoming projects you have regarding uh, water management, and because there's all sorts of issues here. I mean, for example, you know, we're looking at potentially the final 10 years of water being a continuous and reliable presence in Iraq in general. Uh, we have uh, an increased amount of um, issues with, like, for example, cholera outbreaks. Yeah. Could you speak on the projects that you're looking to make and and sort of your government can bring to KRI? Well, thank you. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, that again, a great question. And you're asking that question where, you know, we're just heading into the COP27 summit. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, taking over from our presidency of, 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 of the COP process when we held it in Glasgow, COP26. You know, a critical time for Iraq. Climate change is having a genuine impact here. You know, I've seen it myself, um, uh, you know, firsthand. You know, these dust storms uh, that, that, that dramatically affect you know, your ability and people's ability to live uh, and, and sustain their lives here. Um, the time for action absolutely is now, you know, um, and we cannot delay or kick this can down the road. Um, also, you know, you mentioned that we, we did um, some litter picking in Shaklawa, um, and, uh, you know, that was absolute, you know, eye-opener for me about you know, how you know, local action can have a real difference. Mm -hmm. This... Um, Clean Up KRI uh, organization we were working with. Shout out to Yeah, Lara. so impressive. These young men and women giving up their free time, you know, to go and stand in a river, basically, you know, and dig rubbish out of this stream to try and re-encourage or encourage the, the wildlife to, to come back and to make sure that the area is clean. You know, the area we were clearing up was right next to a school, you know, these, these lovely young children who came out of school when we saw them, said hello to us, we talked to them, you know, and within feet of where they were was just a, a river clogged with, with rubbish, plastic waste rubbish, you know, the kind of sort of thing that, you know, if it's not tackled, presents a, a public health risk. And so that's the type of thing, you know, where, you know, local action can make a real difference, but you know, that, that muni municipality will need to take action, you know, and really need to look at it and provide basic services, you know, the kind of refuse collection that will need to, to increase it so that that kind of practice can stop. Because mm -hmm. at the moment, people are literally just taking their rubbish and throwing it into the river. And, you know, and, and that, that would need to change. You know, in terms of what we're doing here, you know, we are obviously trying to support the government in Baghdad, the, the Kurdistan regional government, on a range of climate me measures, and we have a, a catalytic climate change program where we're spending money to try and help and support uh, the respective governments to achieve their nationally determined contributions to reducing climate change uh, uh, and working on the uh, and making specific interventions so that they can reduce the impact of climate change again, once again, on the citizen. Uh, and so, you know, we are. We are trying our best to help and support and advise. Uh, you know, water management, as you've mentioned, a very real challenge here uh, and one where we're trying to encourage and support the government to 
uh, the governments, sorry, to, to, to enter into dialogue, regional dialogue, so that they can you know, improve their water management practices. You know, as you can tell, I'm talking at a, a strategic level. I have programme managers who are doing this at a very technical level. Uh, I'd love to be able to come on your podcast again and talk about that in more detail in, in the future. Well, I'd love that as well. Good. <laughs> One final thing. Uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, a part of the diplomatic partnership you have with KRI is a dip, uh, partnership between friends and that friends are always honest with each other yeah. and always speak frankly. What's an area that you wish both sides spoke a little more frankly about? Well, look, um, I've already touched upon uh, upon it, but what I'd really like is for, you know, I think it's really important for, again, the citizen for elections to take place next mm -hmm. year. And so discussions between the parties on on making those elections viable for at some point next year, I think are really critically important for the Kurdistan region. Uh, I think, you know, in other areas, you know, we've talked more about, you know, cooperation and having combined and united voice from the Kurdistan region to really start to tackle some of these substantial issues. Things like implementation of the Sinjar Agreement, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, so important for the people of Sinjar. But also, you know, I've been to the IDP camps where, you know, you have many, many, many hundreds of families that have had to evacuate that area. And their plight, you know, um, is, 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 and, and what they've been through, you know, is, is, is a truly, you know, humbling experience to hear what they've been through. You know, they deserve a right to be able to return to the Sinjar region and live in peace and security. But, you, you, you know, that won't happen until the government in... In, in here in the Kurdistan region is talking to the government in Baghdad about how that can be made to come to pass. So, you know, it's about having that united voice, having those discussions, agreeing clear points of implementation to improve the security situation, say, for example, somewhere like Sinjar, so that, so that people can live their lives uh, in, in, in a more peaceful way. Those are the sort of things that I would like to see done. But, you know, many, many other examples, you know, where, where things could be tackled if as long as the political forces come and align behind shared objectives. Well, David Hunt, thank you so much for joining me today. That's a pleasure. Um, you know, um, let's do this again. Yeah, we should. Thank you. Cheers. I'd like to thank David Hunt for taking the time out of his schedule to come join me in our studio. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network. You can listen to this podcast on our website, kurdistanin.net, or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you've chosen in your life, whichever one meets your needs and desires. You can email us uh, with comments and questions at info at kurdistanin.net. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.